What is your favorite thing about yourself? <laughs> Good, yes. <laughs> uh, that, that's a question that I was asked uh, about 20 years ago by uh, this, uh, this girl I was taking a class with, Christy Lang. And um, she, she asked good questions. Funny story. So she actually, she worked in youth ministry with Jeff and I uh, years ago. And there was a moment, this has nothing to do with anything other than it's funny. Um, there was a moment where I, Mark Morlang, was sitting next to Christy Lang, who was sitting next to Eric Langless. And somehow there was some equation with our last name there that, I don't know. Morlang, Lang, Langless. We were at this class, back to what I was talking about, uh, uh, that I've mentioned before up at Tall Timber Ranch, which is in one of the most beautiful settings uh, in the Cascade Mountains just north of Lake Wenatchee. We were there during the month of January. When we got there, there was about two to three feet of snow, and when we left, there was about eight feet of snow. And we were taking this class called Christian Spirituality. So the morning time, we would read some of the great church fathers, uh, all the way from... uh, Athanasius and Ignatius and Augustine, all the way up to C.S. Lewis and Richard Foster, just some incredibly rich reading, teaching, learning time together. And then in the afternoons, we would cross-country ski. Uh, You had to cross-country ski just to use the bathroom at this camp uh, with this amount of snow. And we would go on these treks and have just reflect on what we were reading. And Christy asked this great question, what's your favorite thing about yourself? And I did not know how to answer that question. As a 20-year-old, uh, I felt much more equipped to answer the question, what's your least favorite thing about yourself, right? What are the things that you want to uh, get rid of, one, that you want to work on? Where do you, how do you want to grow? Um, you know, I, I felt like, you know, my theme verse could have easily been Romans 7.15, right? What I want to do, I don't do. Uh, or what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And I probably could have spoken for quite a while about those kinds of things. Um, but I didn't know how to answer that. So, when I did finally answer, it was one of those moments where I was sort of out of body listening to myself answer that question. And as I answered, kind of asking like, oh, is that true? Is that? And what I said was this. I said that my favorite thing about myself is that little things don't affect me very much. And what I meant by that was that when something goes wrong, I can shift course pretty easily. I can kind of go with the flow and I'm not flummoxed or not, you know, overwhelmed too easily. And, uh, and I think that that is true of me. I think that's a character trait that I have. But as I was saying that, the, the sort of listening to myself say that uh, raised this question, oh, is that, is that good? Uh, maybe there are things that, that ought to move me. Maybe there are important things that I ought to be affected by. Maybe not everything should hit me and just kind of roll off me like water off a duck's back. That was kind of the image that I used uh, to describe myself. But maybe there are things that are worth uh, affecting me because of their importance in life. And so this, um, this simple question, what's, what's your favorite thing about yourself? It, I think probably for the first time in a significant way, got me curious about myself, about how I was wired, how I was... Uh, what my inclinations were, what my unique personality was. And I, I won't, I had in here like to give a plug for the Enneagram workshop, but we already did that, so I'm not going to do that. Um, but I, I do think that the Enneagram or this question, whatever it is, uh, I do think that there's great value 
in being curious about ourselves. Not to the point of this navel-gazing where everything just becomes about ourselves, but uh, curiosity about ourselves as a significant part of growth, of maturity. Uh, I'm going to quote from Calvin this morning. You guys ready? John Calvin wrote uh, Christian Institutes, and it's this incredibly uh, significant work on Christian theology where he talks about everything. But in his, in his introduction, he says this, and I've got the quote, I think, on the screen here. There we go. Uh, okay. Our wisdom, insofar as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom, consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. But as these are connected together by many ties, it is not easy to determine which of the two precedes and gives birth to the other. Isn't that good? In, in beginning this incredible work of theology, in this incredible work of growing our knowledge of God, Calvin acknowledges that uh, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves are very intertwined activities. Um, and I think, I think this morning, in this passage we're going to read from 2 Thessalonians, um, I think that Paul is an, inviting us to a similar kind of curiosity. A curiosity about ourselves and a curiosity about God and what God is up to in and through us. What God is up to in us, in the formation of our character, in building within us Christ-likeness, in, in building within us the fruits of the Spirit. But also what God is up to through us, through our actions in the world, through the way that we interact and, and love our neighbor, the way that we serve others. So in and through are two really important words that I want us to remember and, and think about this morning. What God is up to in us and what God is up to through us. We're going to have a chance to reflect on that and ask that question. We uh, were following the lectionary, and for the next three weeks, we're in this book of Second Thessalonians. And so just a, a brief little background before we dive into reading it. Um, Paul, on one of his missionary journeys with Silas and Timothy, Uh, helped to plant a church in Thessalonica. But when he did, in his preaching of the gospel, uh, he received a lot of pushback. A a lot of, um, well, the the Jews and the Romans both were were fairly annoyed at him. And so he had to leave shortly after planting the church. And he never really got to give them the kind of foundational instruction that he hoped. And so later on in life, uh, he... He, he had longed to go back there, and was, he kept being prevented from visiting. But he finally heard a report, uh, most likely from Timothy, about how the church was doing. And it was both good news, but also some concern. And so both First and Second Thessalonians, these two letters that he wrote, uh, are Paul rejoicing that this young church is, is flourishing, that they're excelling in loving each other. But there's also some concerns about... Uh, how they're viewing, um, how they view when Christ will come back and what that means for the way that they're acting in the world, the way that they're working or not working. So, uh, so you get this mixture of encouragement and then instructive teaching in this book. And in 2 Thessalonians, it's three chapters, and each chapter is kind of a theme, and it's, it's nicely broken out. Paul doesn't always do this, but in this one he does, where there's a theme and then a prayer. And then there's kind of the next theme that he tackles, and a prayer. 
And then the final theme, and then wraps it up with a prayer. And these prayers are really beautiful, and I think they really capture um, Paul's heart for, for this church, but, but more broadly speaking, God's heart for his church. So I'm going to read uh, 2 Thessalonians. Here's my Bible. The whole first chapter here. It's not going to be on the screen. I just want you to listen. Uh, but then we're going to come back, and we're going to pay attention especially to the last two verses, 11 and 12, which is Paul's prayer for this church. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials that you are enduring. All of this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with an everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those whom have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. And here's his prayer. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power, he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this letter written by Paul to this particular church 2,000 years ago. And we trust, God, that there is a word for us this morning here in 2019 in Seattle. We want to hear from you through your word this morning. Be our teacher. Amen. So this chapter is bookended by, uh, by encouragement. But in the middle, there's this language of, of judgment and justice. And I think sometimes it's language that can sound maybe a little bit harsh to our ears uh, in 2019. Um, but I think that the bookends to this chapter help us make sense of the middle section. Uh, and, and the bookends uh, help us see that what Paul is trying to do is he's trying to encourage this fledgling church that they would know that God has not forgotten them in the midst of their persecution, that God's justice ultimately will be served and that God is the one to do it, that that's on God to take care of his people, to, to, uh, to mete out justice in his time and in his own way, um, and that God has not forgotten them in their struggle. So the intent of this passage, again, is, is primarily to comfort this persecuted church. Um, and I want to read 
just again, so we get the language in our, in our heads and our imagination. Uh, the last few verses here, Paul's prayer, wrapping this all up. And I think, yeah, we've got this on the screen here. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, you and him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. The language in this chapter is full of God's activity. God is the primary actor here, whether it's in bringing his, his justice on the earth, whether it's providing comfort and rest for the church, whether it's calling us and actually being the one who empowers us to respond and, and to be made worthy of that calling. And I think that the part that grabs me the most is, uh, is in this prayer that, that God is the one who through his power is going to bring to fruition two things, your desire for goodness and every deed that's prompted by faith. That's the in and through part of this, of this chapter that I, I, I feel is very compelling. Right? These, this desire for goodness, that God is going to grow that and bring it to fruition in us. And our, our deeds, our acts in the world that are prompted by our faith in Christ. He's going to bring those uh, to fruition as well. Make those fruitful. We, uh, we don't live under the same persecution that the first century church did. It's, it's hard sometimes to draw parallels there. But we do certainly live in an age of anxiety and worry. We live, uh, we experience pressure, we experience stress. And in that sense, I think there's a lot of connections that we can make to the church that was facing persecution. Um, I, every time that the news teases their next bit with like, find out what common household item is going to cause you to grow a third eye and, you know, fart until you die. Like that, you know, stay tuned at 11. Uh, those sorts of things, I just feel like... The, it just piles on the anxiety and the worry um, because it sells, because we respond to that, right, out of fear. So no doubt the Thessalonians felt uh, pressure, anxiety, and stress. And so the comfort, the word of comfort that Paul gives to them uh, is a word of comfort for us as well, that even in the midst of challenging circumstances, even in the midst of, of stress, anxiety, whatever it is that, that causes worry to, to rise up, um, God is at work in and through you. And that this is, and that God himself is going to be the one to bring about whatever goodness can come out of this. The work is God's, and so we can rest in that. But there is also um, an invitation to partner with God in this work, right? That even though the work is primarily God's to do in and through us, that we're invited to partner with God, not to simply be passive and avoid any sense of, of our obligation, our responsibility. And I think that, uh, like this question that I was asked that prompted a curiosity, um, I, I think that this passage prompts a similar kind of curiosity in me about what is God up to in and through me. 
What, what are the things that, where, where am I desiring goodness? What are the, the acts, the, the deeds, the, the things, the ways I'm living my life in the world that are really truly prompted by faith? I just want to invite you this morning to, to ponder those questions for yourself. Um, not necessarily to think first and foremost of how you fail. And, and if you're like me, that's where, you, that's where your curiosity about yourself first goes. Um, and there's probably a whole counseling session of why that might be the case. <laughs> um, but, but I want to invite you this morning not to think first and foremost about where you fail, but rather um, to remember this. To remember that you are a new creation. That in Christ the old is gone and the new is here. That you are a new creation. To remember that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That God dwells in you through his spirit. Do you, do you believe this is true? This is good news. It's not that we're not sinners. Let's be clear, we are. We can say that. But let's get that out of the way. And let's move on to being curious about, uh, by God's spirit, dwelling within us. Because of the fact that in Christ we're new creations, what, what is God up to in and through, in and through us? It's God's work. But let's begin to pay attention to what God is up to in and through us. So, okay, I need, I need some helpers. Um, Presley, you up for helping me? Alistair, you want to help me? Anybody else? I need, can you guys hand these out to folks? Okay, give some to Presley here. Thank you, guys. You guys can have extra treats after service. I checked with your parents, and it's okay. Yeah. And if there's not treats, then sugar packets. Uh, yeah. So what, what I did here on this, this quarter sheet of paper, on one side, just have the word in, and on the other side, the word through, along with the little uh, section from verse 11 that pertains to uh, God bringing, through his power, bringing to fruition your every desire for goodness. Oh, and don't, don't forget the guys in the balcony. We, we don't forget the people in the balcony. We love you up there. I see you. Yeah. Um, and then on the, on the back side, uh, that God, through his power, would bring to fruition your every deed prompted in faith. So what he's up to in and through you. I want you to think about what is it, where, where have you experienced a desire for goodness? What I mean by that, what I, what I think Paul means by that, is, is where are you sensing a desire for virtue? Uh, perhaps it's a desire for or a hunger for uh, the fruits of the Spirit, right? Uh, a growing desire for love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Where do you sense that growing in you? Or is there a particular one of those that you sense there is a desire for? And then similarly, is there any place in your life where uh, you, you, you sense this prompting to, uh, to act, right? Whether it's a, a nudge to engage with someone that you might otherwise pass by, right? Someone asking for money on the street corner. Uh, maybe, maybe it's even just a growing desire to engage with those who, who are marginalized, to, to help them understand that just like you, they are made in the image of God. 
right? Is there, is there a, a deed or an action that you, you sense e- either uh, out of experience, you've experienced that kind of nudge before, or, or maybe it's even simply a desire for that? Oh, thank you guys. Thank you guys so much. Be curious about where God is at work in and through you. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's just this. Maybe you got a pay raise, perhaps. Um, maybe there's this inkling that that pay raise is not simply for you. Uh, I, w- I was reminded recently, uh, this is, I think, a couple of years ago, but uh, Derek Carr is the quarterback for the Raiders and, uh, and is uh, a person of faith. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's a Christian. I've not ever met him. I can't judge soul, but based on this press conference that he gave, I'm pretty sure this is evidence of God's spirit at work in him. He signed what at the time was the largest uh, contract ever, which for like a bajillion dollars for a few years of playing football. And um, he gave a press conference after it, and it was, it was really inspiring. Because he sat down and he goes, look, this is a lot of money, um, and it's going to help a lot of people. He said, my wife and I, like, we are not going to live differently because of the number of zeros at the end of this contract. And then he went on to describe in great length how his wife still cuts coupons and is like, you know, shops at places like Value Village. And it was, it was a lovely image, one that I can very much relate to. Um, but that sense of this massive amount of money coming to him, he, that, that that was not simply for him. And that, to me, is an example, uh, an extreme example, certainly, but an example of... Uh, a deed would be prompted by faith, right? An action, uh, the generosity with his money that would be prompted by his faith in Christ as evidence that God is at work in his life. So you can, you can keep jotting notes, keep thinking about this, but I, I think this language of in and through, I, I, want, I want that to become part of our imagination this week. What is God up to in me? with these desires for, for goodness, a desire for virtue? Uh, and what is, he up th- what is he up to through me as I walk through life, as I encounter my neighbors? Right? And as you start to jot things down or as things come to mind, uh, I want you to be encouraged. This is evidence that God is at work in and through you, right? That God is with you, that he is transforming you. I think it may be one way to think about this or one way to, to answer this, these questions uh, might be a twist on that question that I was asked by Christy all those years ago about what's your favorite thing about yourself. That's to say, what is God's favorite thing about you? What might God's favorite thing about you be? How might he delight and rejoice in what he himself is doing and what he himself has promised to bring to fruition in your life? And I think for each one of us, uh, that, that may look a little bit different. There may be unique opportunities that we have, unique challenges that each one of us faces. I want to pray. I want to take some time to pray because that's what Paul does with all of this. This is a prayer for the church. Uh, and I want to give us uh, an opportunity to spend some time asking 
that God would bring to fruition these things, that God would bring to fruition this desire for goodness. And maybe this morning, what you, the, you may be able to write down is that you desire to have that desire, right? That the desire for goodness or the desire for uh, deeds that are born out of faith, that feels so far away from you that maybe what you, maybe your prayer is simply to have that desire. I think God honors that prayer. I was, th- I was thinking about, I'll just give this little example here before we go to prayer. Uh, when I was thinking about the, the deeds prompted by faith and uh, remembering back to Derek Carr's press conference there, uh, I was thinking about my own wrestling with anxiety about money. Money is a, a great uh, source of anxiety, and I'm probably not the only person that experiences this. But I do experience uh, on occasion that, that uh, prompting to give, that prompting to be generous, which is, uh, it doesn't make any sense because if money is the uh, source of anxiety, giving it away and having less of it will increase the anxiety, right? <laughs> like that's how that works. That having more of it, that would decrease the anxiety, right? <laughs> but I, I, I think that as, we, as God is at work in us um, and as we respond to these promptings, right? Responds to uh, the nudges of his spirit, whether it's generosity, whether it's, it's a, a virtue within us, a patience or gentleness. What I've found is as I respond to that, um, rather than increasing anxiety, which you would think giving more money away would increase anxiety, instead what I feel is uh, joy um, and, and freedom. And I, I, I want more of that. I want more. And I want more, uh, a more willing spirit to respond to the things that God is doing in and through me. So with that, I'm going to give us some space to pray. To ask that God would make us worthy of his calling, would make us fruitful in these areas. So let's come to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we do confess our sin before you, and we we have to acknowledge right up front um, how much we have missed the mark. But we also, we also want to dwell and ponder and wonder at the work that you are doing, that you are making us new creations. What a gift. Lord, speak to us. Speak to us in the silence about where it is that you are working in our lives, causing us to grow in virtue and character and the fruits of your spirit. And open our curiosity about how our actions, our deeds, prompted by our faith in you, prompted by your spirit, are evidence of your working in our lives.